0: Welcome to Freaky Fandoms. I am your host, Andrew Hawkins, and today I am with a very special guest that I'm excited to talk to, Mr. Shane Izikowski, a dark artist from the West Coast out of San Francisco. Shane, how are you doing today? I'm
1: doing all right, man. Happy to be here.
0: Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, I wanted to have you on because you're a part of this ever-growing community that we have of dark art and dark art society fans and everyone who's really into this kind of genre, and I just wanted to talk to you for a little bit because your work is cool as hell, and I, I just dig it, man. Uh, thanks, dude. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I've seen stuff that you've done, a lot of oil on canvas, oil on wood, I think, uh, a lot of sculpture, um, but tell me, as an artist, uh, what's your approach to what you do, and what's, what's your range? Because it seems almost like you do everything.
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, you've heard the expression, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. I, you know, I, I've kind of gone through life, um, with the idea that it was always drilled into my head that you're supposed to, like, pick one thing, right? Sure. So, um... I've just never done that. <laughs> so I, I've always had like so many interests and, you know, films were always an interest of mine. Music was an interest of mine. Um, and then as, as far as being an artist, uh, I've always been into like everything. You know, I've always experimented with different things. And it's taken me until now to really just hone in on the certain things that I do like. Yeah. Um, and then also work on projects that make me money on the side while I can continue painting and sculpting. Um, you know, those things aren't always, uh, extremely fruitful. So I do have to do uh side gigs, um, like production design on films and set design on theater. So
0: that's super cool. Like I've seen some of the, um, Bits of info out there from what you've done in the past. Um, it seems like you've always had a role in either the film industry or just uh, art society. Just from from the beginning. I mean, have you always studied and been interested in entertainment and art?
1: Yeah, um, studied is a funny word for me because <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I I've just always it's always just been interest based. So cool. As far as films go. You know, I was uh, I was born in South Korea. Uh, I was adopted when I was two. Hmm. I lived in Jersey um, in my younger years. And then I moved to Pennsylvania and I lived in Pennsylvania most of my life. Um, so in Pennsylvania, in the backwoods and cornfields of Pennsylvania, there's, you know, not a ton to do all the time. So the things to do would be watch movies, um, and then eventually make your own movies. So I had found a production company at a certain point. Uh, they're called Breaking and Entering Productions. Hmm. And, uh, I had heard about them and there weren't many production companies around there. So I had actually just tried. I was, I contacted them like, Hey, uh, can I act in some of your films or something like that? And they actually responded and told me, no, they were like, Oh, we got that covered. Sorry. I don't know. Check back another time. So I'm like, I'm a very stubborn individual. So, um, I had been doing like special effects makeup, you know, gluing things to my face since I was like eight years old. So, um, so I was like, Hey, do you need a special effects guy? Cause I could do that too. So they were like, yeah, actually we do. So, I met with them, I showed them some of my really terrible makeup work, and they accepted me, which was great, <laughs> you know, so.
0: Just all, like, um, stuff stemming off from being a Halloween kid and, like, getting yeah. little uh kits for gore effect and everything like that? Definitely, yeah, and just, like, making my own
1: crap at home, and um I was always, like, the bloody kid during Halloween. And I always wanted the scariest, grossest masks and stuff like that. So, um, (laughs) and that was, that was since day one. I mean, my first, um, my first Halloween costume was a little skeleton with this plastic mask that cut my chin because it was like straight up plastic. Yeah. And I think my mom still has that mask actually. Um, so I was always like something scary, you know?
0: What was and, the, uh, uh, what was the attraction? What got you into it? Cause like for me, um, a lot of the movies and early like horror stories and things like that, that I dug into, they were just around the house. Like it seemed like the, the coolest people in my family were into that stuff. So I was like, Oh, I want to be like my cool aunts or uncles and read these Edgar Allan Poe stories or watch these Hitchcock movies or The Omen or stuff like that. But for, for you in yeah. Pennsylvania, was it just that kind of, or in Jersey? Uh, was it around?
1: Yeah, it, it definitely was around. Um, so my mom, uh, she had been in the paper as like the Halloween queen. Oh, wow. We used to when I was younger, we used to go on field trips to my house because of how my mom decorated. So it has always been like a part of my childhood, you know, and I thought that was normal until I talked to other kids and they're like, your family's weird, <laughs> you know? <so. laughs> yep. It so, always that. <laughs> yeah. And my mom actually has, um, this huge, uh, collection of antiques, like old Halloween, you know, paper lanterns and noisemakers and stuff like that. And that's actually like in her will to give to me when she passes away.
0: Oh, that's so awesome. like,
1: it's part of our, like family, you know, history and origin and everything. So and then we also helped uh me and my sister, my mom, and my dad, um, we helped with haunted houses when I was little. So yeah, so that was just like, that was normal for me, you know, and funny enough, I went to Catholic schools until eighth grade. So it was also like, I don't know, like, when you really learn about religion. Yeah things that you learn at a young age about crucifixion and raising from the dead and things like that, that gets like ingrained in your psyche and you don't realize that you're learning some really crazy shit. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh, for real, like extreme dark fantasy, morbid horror, fire and brimstone. I mean, you really sit down and think about it and you associate it with some of these like other horror tales and just, you know even on on a basic level that stuff is all kinds of nightmare fuel and kinder trauma and all that shit so totally yeah yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah so
1: um yeah so basically uh because i was kind of raised around that i was just always into it and um and with the the production company later on uh i was actually with them for like 6 years i became really good friends with them and they kind of taught me Uh, filmmaking, and I mean, we were like a bunch of kids with cameras, no permits, it was all guerrilla style filmmaking, nice, you know, and it was fun. Um, actually, uh, real quick to tie into that, um, during while George A. Romero was releasing, um, Diary of the Dead, oh, yeah, during that time period, he had a contest, um where you could submit short films and we we submitted a film where i was i actually played the zombie i did the special effects for the film and we submitted it and we we placed in the top like i don't know 30 or something like that out of a few hundred submissions so still that was like kind of cool for us yeah up there Um, at least
0: in the 10 percent or something but close to the top of the heap nice hell yeah yeah, man
1: um and at the time while it was going on we had made these posters and this is me. If you can see, that's me as a zombie there. Yeah.
0: I'm looking at the DVD right now. I see yeah. you mocked up. So, oh, that's hilarious. You've got like going actually, through the grate and the mouth, yeah. like snarling. That and is it, killer. See,
1: that is signed by George A Romero oh, right man. there.
0: Because, that is so awesome. Uh,
1: Shane, I, I, met stay him. Stay scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, I met him at a horror convention and, um, And I told him about it. I gave him a a piece of my artwork at the time. I'm sure he gets so much zombie artwork. He probably just throws it on the heap, you know. But he seemed, like, (laughs) genuinely, like, excited about it or whatever. And it was pretty cool, so.
0: Yeah, George Romero, one of my all-time favorite directors. Um, It it seems like everybody um, who is into dark art or dark art-influenced film or writing or anything... Um, you know, everyone always looks back at Night of the Living Dead, revolutionary on every level. Dawn of the Dead, one of the most fun horror action fantasy mall movies ever. Um, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Day. And uh, hmm. I actually got to meet um, Romero when he was releasing Land of the Dead. Um, oh, wow. I went up to, yeah, hmm. Pittsburgh uh, for that. And it was uh, just absolute, you know, incredible time, a huge celebration of him and his legacy and his work. Um, Tom Savini running around, Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, just uh, even I think some freaking Weinstein showing up. But, you know, that's all neither here nor there because they're just trying to bank off of the popularity. But, was that
1: in Pittsburgh,
0: yeah. California or Pittsburgh, no, um, Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania. Yeah. Because yeah, okay. yeah, when, yeah, yeah. when they had released that, I think around 2004 or whatever it was, uh, they did like a dual um, release where the premiere was in LA, but they had the second premiere uh, at home because you know gotcha. Pittsburgh being their their stomping ground. Yeah. But um, yeah, man, I I love getting to meet amazing horror influences like that. I love uh, conventions, and I I need to go to more horror cons because I've gone to so many general cons like San Diego, yeah. like WonderCon, you know. All these big ones, but also a bunch of other ones just kind of peppered around, like even Pensacola has a great one. But, um, yeah, uh, I I do want to ask you, because I know I want to talk to you about horror films and some of your favorites. Um, Are you a convention vendor? Do you go and sell any of your stuff at cons around your area? Because that seems like a great outlet for all of us who are trying to get our stuff out there.
1: Yeah, so I do. Um, I love love, love, love conventions. And, um, I had done a convention booth set up. Um, I made all these walls super heavy as hell, way too heavy. And, (laughs) um, but it was really cool. Like I, I, uh, I found this really like tacky wallpaper and I made it all drippy and gross looking. Um, and I made these like faux wood panels. So it basically, when you walk into my booth, it's like, an old Victorian house almost. Nice. Um, so I had actually set that up. I made that before I vendored at the Walker stalker convention for walking dead. Okay. Um, and that was the beginning of last year. And, um, and then I reused that a few times, but there's another convention in San Francisco called the Edwardian ball. Um, it happens here. It happens in LA. Um, And believe it or not, my stuff was better well-received at the Edwardian Ball than it was at Walker
0: Stalker. Really? Is it just because of the fans coming in and the the people who are interested in the work?
1: Yeah, so that's the thing is at Walker Stalker, people are like, they're really just looking for Walking Dead characters.
0: Yeah, like Negan, like all those ones that everyone's so familiar with.
1: Yeah, and that's totally cool. And some of the artists there, they base their entire art career on the success of that show. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's totally fine for different reasons. I just, I don't do any like of that kind of fan art as yeah. of yet. So all of my characters and everything that I paint are all like people I know. I shoot ro- photo reference um, mm-hmm. of everyone. And so they're all people I know and characters that I've like thought of. So, um, so people came in my booth during Walker Stalker and they liked it. They thought it was really cool, but they're like, you know, where's Rick? Where's yeah? Where's, uh, Negan? Yeah. So, uh, and they're like, oh, you kind of look like Glenn.
0: You know? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> you just so. step to the side of the booth and come back with like a mock-up on of like oh, the yeah. eye popped out. Oh, you want to buy my art now? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's something too. Like, I mean, I, I look at your work and talking about, you know, just the 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 quality and the uh, I, I know I'm saying an expertise that goes into what you're producing, like some of your likenesses for folks like your your painting is really, really well styled. Um, I, I dig it like these are um, not, you know, these images of familiar characters from fiction or TV or anything like that. Um, these are just, you know, great characters so if you're doing, like, photo reference for your realism, uh, it's just a really, really cool um, end product. But what's what's your process for, you know, these kind of paintings that you're doing because they're really, really solid?
1: Thank you. Um, yeah, man. So my recent stuff, um, it, my – Like your region triptych. Like, that is killer. Yeah. Thank you. Um, That one was really – it was really a challenge, but all right. So the way that I do it is, um, I, I have to come up with a concept first. I can't just kind of go in blind. Um, I know some people paint like way more intuitively. Chet's are, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just just pulling from the
0: ether of genius. Yeah, yeah. He just,
1: uh, it, it's crazy his process, but, um, you know, and eventually I, I think I'll, get there where it will become a little more natural for me and I'll be able to pull from something else but um you know I paint from photo reference because I need that reference to to really see what the folds on the dress look like and stuff like that so um I also come from a photographic background uh in Pennsylvania I had a photo company for a decade there so oh wow uh, so photography is now like part of my process when i paint so um i find the models uh generally i'll find a model first because that you know knowing what they look like and how they are kind of helps me um decide what kind of character they're going to be what the piece is going to be and specifically this superstition series um was based a lot with uh who the person was who the model was so um, the other pieces the uh, the umbrella piece um, there's another piece where a girl is by a um, there's like a black cat in the background and there's a door and then the there's a piece with a graveyard uh, those three pieces were all based on those models heritage and their backgrounds and the superstitions in the in that culture
0: just kind of bring so, in some folklore and history of the actual, you know, person, the, the model and where they're coming from, which yeah. is kind of a really cool idea because not only are you going for the likeness of the model, but you're also diving a little bit deeper to kind of what's behind the eyes and what they you know, have in their lineage and their history and stuff. I, I actually yeah. really, really dig that, man.
1: Yeah. And it, so it ends up being like almost a collaboration with me and the model. You know, where I talk to them a lot beforehand and then we decide what we're going to do and then we shoot it. And then oftentimes um, I'll have this idea exactly what I want to do in my head. We'll shoot that. But then I will kind of let them do what they want, you know, and I'll sort of sort of kind of guide them through and let them know, like, all right, I'm going to shoot it now completely different than I was shooting it before. I'm going to set up the lighting completely different and kind of like do what you feel. And. Oftentimes, I'll get something out of that that's totally not what I was thinking, but, uh, you know, 10 times better than what I was thinking.
0: So Nice. Instead of a lightning in a bottle, just depending on the factors. But it it seems like it's all uh, a full composition because you're going for the figure, but you're also going for everything that you're going to put in the frame and then just kind of transferring that into the painting. So it's just super cool.
1: So sometimes I'll have to, um, like if I can find a location, I'll shoot the person on location. Um, if I can't, I'll preconceive what the lighting is going to look like in the final painting. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'll do the lighting design while I shoot it and then, um, and then I'll find the right photo to put behind them basically as a backdrop. And so then I'll do like a digital mock-up of what the final painting is going to look like in Photoshop with my photo reference. And then I I just basically put that on a screen. Um I do the grid method where I divide it into little squares and then I transfer that onto a canvas or uh I use Masonite to paint on as well. Nice. And um and yeah, and then I'll just sit there and draw it and then I fill it in and paint it. So
0: hell yeah! Well, uh, it's like just talking about this and you know how you go through each level to make these paintings. It's making like my film brain think about um, concept design and cinematography and photography. Like, have you kind of applied both sides of these methods to you know even getting into doing film work?
1: Uh, absolutely. And so I just did a a short film called Snaggletooth. Um, which nice. is in the, it's in the, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's a fun film and it's being really well received and it's in the, um, film festival circuit right now. Hell yeah. Um, so when I'm doing production design on something like that, I am thinking about every single little detail about where the character would live, why they would have the things that they have, what their costume looks like, the accessories on their costume. So, yeah, I absolutely apply that both ways. I apply that to the production design. I also apply it to what's in a painting. And sometimes I won't think of, uh, you know, the beauty about painting is you can paint something into a painting at any point. So, um, so I might think of something afterwards and then paint that in, you know, and it's like an afterthought, but it's like the perfect thing to put into the painting.
0: Yeah, like it still adds to the concept and then it just gives you that end result that you weren't even thinking of when you were going through the mid steps. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's so cool. Well, um, a, a big thing that, you know, uh, I love right now is that, um, like we've talked about a little bit, the, the horror genre of film is just going through this crazy, like up and down cycle right now. There's, people saying that, oh, everything's just the same old shit all the time. It's more Conjuring movies and jump scares and paranormal activity and bullshit. And then there are, like, these single visionaries and creators and directors that are just kind of seeping through and throwing these little darts, like, every few months or half a year that yeah. actually really hit for hardcore horror fans. Um, but I want to talk to you and, you know, just ask you, like, what kind of um, horror in you know film art anything uh, really gets you going and does that even you know go over to like are are you a fan of uh, sound design at all are you a fan of music scores like um, some of these you know incredible soundscapes that uh, people have thrown together for horror movies and just even concept albums.
1: Uh yeah so yeah man my. Influence and the the things that I've loved as far as horror goes, um, you know, it's funny because people lump horror into like one giant pile. And when you really like dissect it all, there's so many different subgenres of horror. Just so, layers
0: and layers.
1: Yeah. So, and, much. Um, so when I was younger, like I couldn't get enough of like the schlocky, disgusting, you know blood peeling and splattering, you know, any kind of film like that I was all about. I was also into like creature movies and monster movies. Um, any, pretty much any bad horror movie I could get my hands on, I'd watch, <laughs> you know, and I was really into it. And and once I started learning the special effects and the, the technical aspects of it, um, I loved it even more. And even today, when I look at that kind of stuff, I'm like, Oh my God, I have no idea how they did that gag. And I could tell that it's physical effects. And, um, and I just have this deep appreciation for it. Um, that like interest and how much I used to love that has kind of changed a little bit since I've gotten older. Okay. Um, and it's not that I don't love it. It's that, I am just really into like more character development and psychological horror um, compared to like the bloody crazy shit. So, sure. um, yeah, so that's kind of like right. the direction I'm I've sort of gone in now. So um, as far as. Um, recent. Horror that's come out. Like, I I really, really loved um, certain films. You brought up The Conjuring, which is funny because I I love The Conjuring. Oh, really? Yeah, I did. Do do you not, you didn't like
0: it? It was one that I kind of felt was fine at points, but Mm -hmm. overall, it it just didn't really get me. Like, um, I'm into what James Wan is trying to go for. And with The Conjuring, I thought it was all right, you know, I, I kind of dug it. I, I'm a big fan of um, Haunted House films, and I love, yeah. you know, the yeah. supernatural elements, and um, that goes, like, all the way from, like, the 60s with uh, Legend of Hell House up to, you know, even now, like, with Conjuring 2 and whatever else, they're going to, you know, move forward with, like, The Nun and all that stuff. Mm. Um, but sometimes, you know, uh, certain aspects of a script or pacing or even just kind of a, I don't know, mediocre performance can kind of throw me, yeah. but I don't think it's complete shit. It's just not one of my favorites <laughs> out of the most recent. Like, when I think of a really, really good Haunted House film that just got me on every level, um, recently, the one that you know always pops up is Ted Giohegan's We Are Still Here, and mm. I absolutely love that movie, but it's also maybe I because it was that. partially influenced by Fulci. Oh, it's so good. Oh, like, okay. I don't want to give away anything, but I'm yeah. definitely saying that it's one uh, to totally put on the watch list.
1: Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I definitely will. Um, But yeah, uh, other than that, as far as like recent horror, uh, Get Out was such a That's like so runaway hit. I mean, it was uh, I, I could rewatch that movie over and over again. And, you know, aside from the social context of it. It's just it's a good film in general, you know, um, but because of the social context, because of the time that it's released, you know, and it's the same thing with art. It's like you have to go back and think about when the art was released, what was going on in the world, what was going on in the artist's life. It's the same thing with films where, you know, there's all this police brutality and uh, racism and things going on that yeah. it's released now, like it's the perfect time for it to be released, you know?
0: Absolutely. It's like a, not, not just a social statement and like a reflection of the horrible shit that's going on in our world, but it's objectively like you're saying a fucking fantastic film. It's directed so incredibly well. It's got just on every single level from like a critic standpoint, it it is the bar, you know, it's so incredibly good. The performances are fantastic. The script, the editing—it's a f- fucking great film, and it's one that just makes me excited to see where he goes from here. So you know, yeah. there's word that he's going to be possibly doing a resurgence of the Twilight Zone or something like that. Um, you know, that's awesome. We'll I, I, I mean, I'm down. I love it. Yeah,
1: I'm down for that. I I think he'd do a good job. So.
0: Yeah, and you even watch old episodes of Key and Peele, and whenever Mm -hmm. they, like, dig into genre (laughs) stuff, it's always, like, really engaging, really fun energy, but, you know, they they honor that stuff, and one thing that always cracks me up is just how brilliant their, like, breakdown of the coming up with the concept and idea for Gremlins 2 is, if you've ever seen that bit.
1: Oh, I haven't, no. It's
0: fucking hilarious. (laughs) <laughs> where I think it's uh, Keegan Michael Key is playing Joe Dante and they're around the writers table and Jordan Peele comes in looking like I think um I, I forget his name but he's a character out of the Mannequin movies uh oh who's my just God. extremely like r- ridiculous 80s too fucking funny and they just go around the room where they're talking about okay you get to pick your own gremlin and create the idea. Uh, electric oh gremlin? My God. <laughs> Amazing. It's in the movie. Sold. Uh, uh, awesome. Female gremlin? Yes. I love it. It's Oh, it's too good. But um, I, I think that just kind of makes me think about how like the people who are really into making genre films right now are like fans of yeah. some of the best stuff that's come out well over the last decades
1: to, it has to be that way you know what I mean? yeah. like if you're not if that's not ingrained in your childhood or just whatever like if if you discover it later on that's fine too but you have to be a fan to give proper credit and homage to the things that we all love you know and that's what totally like when you watch a film by somebody who loves that genre you can tell because you you get all the references, you know, and that's how you get fans of your film and that's how you connect with people.
0: Yeah. And it, it makes me think of um another film that came out recently, uh, Deathgasm by Jason Lee Howden. And I absolutely love this film. And it's like just this giant fucking love letter to like old uh Sam Raimi, the, the Evil mm-hmm. Dead original films um and just how, you know, they were produced and how extreme they are and how fun they are um but also like the old peter jackson stuff like talking about uh brain dead uh dead alive and uh bad taste like yeah you know it's it's almost like if you grew up in the video store era and you like gravitated to the horror section that that was like kind of a film school for people who were like treasure hunting to try to find like the craziest stuff that they could fill their weekend with before they had to go back to school the next Monday yeah. and what, you know, could eventually help form the basis of someone who's like a diehard horror fan, whether it's slasher or supernatural or whatever. But you, you were a kid like that too. Like, uh, I think we were talking a little bit before we started recording, you used to ride your bike to the store, just like all the rest of us.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, I did. And, um, and I, I miss those days, you know, I miss the days yeah. when you could go to a place and literally just read the backs of boxes, <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> I'm like, I spent so much time doing that. It's, it's nuts. But um now, like, we take everything for granted. It's like at the tip of your fingertips, you can just watch whatever you want. It, you don't even like read synopsis anymore. You just hear about a good film and you just watch it. But, um, back then it was a lot of like discovery and you could just find things. Nobody, you know, who, who's talking about it. It's like, I guess your friends at school sometimes, but I would just go and, uh, and discover things. So it was, a, yeah. it was a pretty magical time. I feel like, you know,
0: I, I miss those days for sure. Like I, um, loved going and just, you know, like you're talking about looking at the backs of the boxes and just reading stuff that captivated me. I'd be looking at something and be like, oh, a slasher goes and kills a camp full of teenagers. (laughs) "Eh, I'm not feeling that kind of story tonight. Oh, a team of researchers have gone into a house that's been boarded up for 200 years, and now they're starting to get picked off by a supernatural entity. I'm totally going for that tonight. <laughs> but, yeah, like, um, what's the scene like for you where you are now? Because, you know, you've gone from the East Coast to the West Coast, and you were talking about Snaggletooth being in the festival circuit. Um, I, I love how, like, horror festivals are getting bigger and bigger. There was just a huge one in Portland where Puppet Master, uh, the latest film, debuted, and Barbara Crampton from Reanimator and, from, uh, from beyond was there as well. Um, but what's, what's it like for you in one of the, you know, West Coast hubs where you're at? So, um, you know, I moved here a little over
1: three years ago from Pennsylvania. I, you know, I grew up mostly in a town called Stroudsburg. It's a town of 5,000 people. Sure. Um, so super tiny. Um, and then when I moved here, you know, I was looking for, the horror crowd you know uh, other people i still to this day have not found a ton like it's actually really hard to uh, well there's some kind because this is san francisco there Mm -hmm. is whenever you find like horror uh horror photographers people who are really into it you also find like fetish people
0: uh (laughs) yeah sure you know i mean because this is san francisco you know it is yeah
1: And, um, and that's totally fine too. Um, that's yeah. just, I, you know, I'm looking for like diehard horror fans. And as far as I know, like I can't find like the horror scene here. You know, I can't even find, um, galleries here that are specifically that kind of art, dark art and stuff like that. Um, I don't think there are any. And I, I believe a few years ago, there was one that since has closed up. So, hmm. and maybe it's because there wasn't enough of a uh, audience, you know, but
0: everybody moved down to LA and yeah. went to the Dark Art Emporium and Copro and Hyena Gallery and cuz oh man, like the, the way that LA has become like the mecca for dark art just on the West Coast and then you've got like New York with Last Rights and everyone else. Um it's insane to me, but uh if it's, you know, something that's just hard to find in San Francisco where you are now, is it just a sign of the times? Are you still, you know, trying to push through even though the the audience might just be kinda laying low? Yeah, I you know, I'm a
1: very positive person. So um I will uh always push through. You know, I'll I'll always be trying to do these kinds of shows. You know, my opening with superstitions, it's it's all dark art, you know, and it was a dual exhibit with my friend Diane Hoffman. And she also does dark art. So um, there are people here who do this kind of stuff. So we just need to find the audience. And for me, like I've always felt like this kind of artwork, you almost have to package it and present it to the public in such a way where they understand or or where they're like where it's more approachable for them. You know, so for the show, for superstitions, we presented it in a very, like, kind of high-end fashion where it's um, an experience uh, and it's in a nice gallery uh, right in the Castro in San Francisco. And, like, so we, we almost had to package it where it is, like, um, you know, a quite, uh, quote, like, higher-end show. and uh, Trying to push then, to, like, the
0: fine art crowd instead of the, yes. like, like, genre fan crowd as much. That's exactly it. and then, Just sneak it in there so they yeah. don't know what they're really getting, but they'll be surprised when they actually dig into the work. Yeah, and that's, you awesome. know, I've
1: thought about that a lot with dark art where if you do present it a certain way instead of just being like in-your-face horror in-your-face something scary, um, yeah. more people will understand it. And then they might also have the realization that it's okay to like it. You know, and um, I I just feel like more people like it than they even know, you know, and they just maybe haven't realized that it is acceptable. You know, so many people shield their children's eyes from scary work when Mm -hmm. if they didn't, then they could teach them at a young age that it's not a terrible thing. It doesn't make you a terrible human being if you like darker work, you know, in fact, quite the opposite, you know.
0: Yeah, like, everyone says that so many people who are into these sort of subjects, who are into these kinds of ideas, who dig into this kind of work, are some of the absolute nicest fucking people in the world. And, um, this is kind of a somber note, um, but I do want to bring it up, um, just because, you know, it's, it's very relative to this. Um, recently, um, a huge supporter of the dark art movement, uh, and an incredibly, you know, just prolific, uh, let alone, you know, unique, um, creative person, um, passed away. John Schnepp, um, who had done work on Metalocalypse, who had done work with the Upright Citizens Brigade, Mm. who had produced and directed, um, his own documentary about the death of Superman Lives, who, you know, had just done so much over the last decades, even just being a host on Collider getting into, you know, work all across the spectrum. Um, it, it's it's sad that, you know, people like that um, aren't more in the public eye to, you know, talk about this kind of thing, to give more context, to yeah. work with darker subject matter, to actually bring it to light because, you know, everybody, absolutely everybody who ran into this guy and spent time with them one of the absolute nicest people you'll ever meet in the world. And so many, so many people in this scene are like that, where they're just the kindest, coolest, warmest people, but they're into this sort of stuff because, you know, just like you're talking about, they know it and understand it. Instead of like shielding their eyes from it and going, you know, the the three with eyes, ears, and mouth <laughs> don't see it, don't hear it, don't yeah. speak of it. Um, I, I think more context is needed. I think more understanding is needed so people can look at this and, you know, exactly like we're talking about, just be cool with it. It's not weird to talk about this stuff. It's not taboo.
1: Well, what's funny about that is, you know, the parents shielding their children's eyes. um, What they don't realize is most kids whose eyes are shielded, they will want so badly to see whatever they're being shielded from. So, (laughs) In effect, it's like that parent is actually creating a fan of whatever that is, you know? So it's it's hilarious that that's uh, – the, the rebellion
0: factor. Like, yeah. Are you going to shield my eyes and punish me <laughs> for looking at this? Well, guess what? I'm staying up late at 2 in the morning and I'm watching Nightmare on Elm Street movies.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, a, a little bit more real quick. Uh, yeah, man. An interesting point about uh, me growing up in Pennsylvania. Um, Please. Uh, And a lot of my my influences. So when I moved to uh, around the Pocono Mountains, I was around this was like ninth grade. So I was, I don't know, 14 or so, 13, 14. Um, My mom had gone up to the town of Stroudsburg and uh, East Stroudsburg, and she told me about this Halloween store. Um, it was a costume shop and she said there's all these props and uh, you're going to love it. Oh my god, it's incredible. I've never seen anything like it. So, sure enough, I went up there and I instantly fell in love with this store. And uh they have the most amazing masks. They have all this special effects stuff. They got the fake blood. They have an entire wall of just wigs. They have scary hands, uh, you know, the whole nine yards, and it's like a privately owned shop. Um, And then I start seeing that uh, I see these pictures up on the wall of these amazing paintings, and I'm like, oh, my God, what what are these? Who is this person? And I find out that the owner's father is this amazing fantasy artist. So – I'm like digging into this and really loving this work and stuff. And sure enough, um, this store is owned by Bill Forzetta and his oh, wow. father is Frank Forzetta.
0: Frank. Holy shit.
1: <laughs> so, um, when I'm about, uh, a few years later, I, I, it was after high school, but I'd been in there every single year, uh, kind of befriended them and, um, Eventually, I asked them if I could work there, and they were like, you know what? We, we get really busy during like August, so come back. So I went back in August, and I ended up working for them for eight years.
0: Oh, my God. That's cool. And, that is yeah. so cool.
1: And um, so during that time period, I became really good friends with the family, and um, I knew Mr. Frazetta before he passed away. Oh, wow. and, Uh, he actually used to come to, I worked at a camera shop as well. That was his local camera shop. So Mr. Frazetta, who was also very into photography, he would come in and talk to us about photography. He had a huge, huge collection of, uh, cameras. Um, one of which is an SX 70 land camera that his son gave to me, uh, after he passed away. So I still Mm -hmm. own that now. And, um, but, you know, during that time period of getting to know him, it's like, I had only heard about who Frank Frazetta was when I moved there and found out, you know, saw the store and everything. Um, a lot of people grew up with it even younger than that, but I was in like little town. So I, I didn't even really, I didn't know what fantasy illustration even was, you know? So, um, I, from day one of like getting to know Mr. Frazetta, I never wanted to be, like, a fanboy, you know, so I yeah. I barely talked to him about art, which is, like, crazy, obviously, you know, it's like, <laughs> you get a chance to talk to one of the greats about art, and you sort of don't, and I, I didn't want to bug him, because everyone was, you know, everyone was kind of like a fanboy around him, so...
0: Yeah, um, I love your work. Talk to me about how you made this focusing yeah. on some of his most unique stuff. I mean even, you know, people who grew up watching like the old Hobbit and Lord of the Rings stuff, like the old Ralph Bakshi seeing, oh, yeah. you know, all of that are huge fans. But then, you know, heavy metal and everything else. It's it's funny though that you mentioned that just because sometimes with, you know, creators and visionaries, some of the best conversations just come out of talking about random shit and just fun subjects that you touch on. Totally. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, uh, Billy had, yeah, his son, Billy, he had, um, a horror bar that actually helped him build above the shop. And so we would go up there and sometimes Mr. Frazetta would come and just hang out with us. So, um, yeah. So a lot of those conversations that you're saying, just like fun, whatever, like he was, he was the sweetest guy. He loved his family. Um, I actually ate dinner at their house with him and, uh, Mrs. Forzetta who Mrs. Forzetta is a firecracker. She was like, she actually <laughs> she wouldn't let me drink anything while I ate dinner because, uh, it, it like affected how I digested or something like that. So I'm like eating pork chops with them. And she like wouldn't let me drink anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but she, you know, she was kind of the she was the businesswoman. She was a hard nosed businesswoman. And cool. um, she was hysterical. And uh, yeah, it's just like uh, after she had passed away, um, Mr. Frazetta went down to Florida to live with his daughters um, for a little bit. And they actually mm. flew me down there to shoot video of his life for a few days. Oh wow! So um, we had put that out online at the time, but um, yeah, I still have all the the raw footage and everything.
0: Oh, that's amazing! Have you um, thought about working with them at all to take that raw footage and put it into any condensed feature or short or something like that? Yeah,
1: I mean, honestly, it's probably not enough to to make a feature, but um, something, and that's totally up to them. Like, I'm yeah, fully respectful. Yeah.
0: Um, cause you'd have to be, I mean, with, you know, a a legend, someone who, you know, is so highly regarded as just this, you know, figure that is inspiration to so many people out there. I mean, without, you know, complete and total respect, but it, it seems like, you know, you had that just real family tie, which I mean, that's something, yeah, that's, that's too, too cool.
1: Yeah. And, um, yeah, so Billy, he still has his shop uh in Pennsylvania in East Stroudsburg. Um he, nice. he keeps on saying that he wants to close it up and do something else, but uh, who knows. Um uh, but he's been open for 30 something years. So, um and then his daughter Danielle, who's a really good friend of mine, um she actually just had a baby. So, and so uh yeah, so she's like preoccupied with that right now, but she lives in Pennsylvania as well. And so I still keep in touch with them. And um, she was doing, before she had the baby, she was doing the convention circuit and selling Frazetta prints, um, nice. T-shirts and stuff like that. And then down in Florida, his other granddaughters have the company uh, Frazetta Girls. Um and they're doing the same thing. They're doing like a uh the convention circuit. So yeah. so they're keeping it alive as much as they can. I think they're all kind of doing their own thing and doing the best they can.
0: Well, I think like when it comes to you know the work of Frank Frazetta and um it just, you know, makes me think too about how like one of my favorite influences um and someone who I got to meet, not to, you know, the extent to you know, have that sort of interaction that you've had. But um someone like H.R. Giger, who, yeah. you know, still has a core family and a core group that are still doing the Giger tour, running around the world, people who are keeping the store and the museum and the bar alive and keeping the the memory out there. So, you know, the kids growing up who are into more subculture or counterculture or unique and creative stuff can find that whether they're just walking in, you know, some bookstore in their town and all of a sudden they see a print on the wall or they see an art book that just draws them for whatever reason. It could be anything. Yeah. But yeah, like these, these figures, you know, these people who inspire so many, uh, they're, they're important. They're absolutely important. They need to be honored. And, I, I freaking love it. And that's, that's so cool, man. Cause I had, I had no idea that you had the Frazetta connection, but that's just something yeah. that I think, you know, couldn't, couldn't be more badass.
1: Yeah. And like a small town in Pennsylvania, you know, like, yeah, what a weird place to meet the legend. Yeah. You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, like stuff like that. I mean, of course it could, couldn't happen anywhere except for just a small town out and yeah. wherever with a small population. It's just, Couldn't be couldn't be more perfect. But I I do want to talk to you about the stuff that you've got going on right now. Um, You've got your studio going in San Francisco. You've got, you know, work that you're putting out. And, um, you know, like you're talking about the next series that you've got going. What's what's the big stuff on the horizon?
1: Um, so right now, you know, I still have my superstitions show up until July 29th. I don't know when this, uh, episode airs, but, um, the show goes until the 29th.
0: Um, so when this airs, there'll still be a week for everybody to go out and check it out. Yeah.
1: Great. Awesome. Um, and, uh, so I'm still kind of like in the thick of that, trying to sell work and stuff like that. But, um, the things that I have on the horizon, um, the, as far as immediately, um, I'm casting these, uh, horror trophies for Shriekfest in LA. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and I got hired last year to do that, so I'm doing it again this year. But at the same time, I'm actually moving my studio to a different studio. Um, and I also, I cast these, um, I had sculpted this heart. Yep. And, yeah, so you saw I've those. I've seen those
0: heart casts and they're yeah. cool as hell. I saw yeah, that you had you. them up in a couple of different stores around your area.
1: Yeah, so they're they're sold now in like seven retail locations in San Francisco, which is pretty cool. Nice. And, um, you know, my girlfriend who helps me on the business side, her name is Sonia. She's also an illustrator, uh, an artist here too. Um, she helps me on the business side. So she she and I are coming up with ideas on how to expand that part of my business. So hopefully that'll help churn, uh, like consistent income basically. So, um, so I'm working on those, working on fulfilling heart orders and, uh, moving my studio. And then I have some paintings and stuff to do. And I, you know, on the dark art society cooperative page, yes. A while ago, a few months ago, um, Bobby Ford had, I think it was him who had suggested doing a collaborative dark art painting. Um, this was a while ago. And then so a few of us jumped on board, me being one of them. And it is on the third artist right now. I I don't even know if, how much I'm allowed to say technically, because we've been keeping it pretty secretive. Uh, but we've been updating each other and stuff like that. Um, but. The third guy, Chris Helton, it was it went from uh, Bobby Ford to Jeff Collier to um Chris Helton and then it's going to me. So it's been all over the country and then that's I'm on cool. the last stop. yeah, so it's pretty it's kind of like a lot of pressure because I'm the last person and I have to varnish it and everything. but it's been like a really, really cool process. so that's gonna reach me. Probably within the next few weeks. Um, so I'll be working on that. And then, um, uh, the next painting, the next show that I'm in next big show is at Cactus Gallery. I, you know what? It, it hasn't been announced yet. So I don't, I don't really want to say it, but it's the first time I'm showing in LA. So I'm like super excited about that. And I'm working on that one too. And we'll, we'll
0: make sure to uh, throw links up. And yeah, when we, Uh, get everything put on the site and on the page for the episode. We'll have that going as soon as the PR goes out, Cactus Gallery, whatever they put out. But yeah, that's that's just awesome, man. I'm so freaking stoked to hear that you're going to be shown in LA because that's cool as hell.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm very excited about that. And because um, you know, we've talked about on the Discord, on the Dark Art Society Discord, about how LA is such a booming place for dark art i'm like i just really need to start getting in there and um and through the dark art society it's really just been um just networking with like-minded people and um just learning more but um the one of the co-curators for the show at cactus is uh yvonne carly who does paper cuts um you know who that is
0: yeah her work's fantastic yeah, she's been part of the dark art community all the way through from the yeah. time that, you know, everyone had just been. And I think, um, I've also, uh, had some interaction with Yvonne about some of my favorite, uh, current music, um, if you know Fever Ray and the Knife. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, Karen Dreyer. But, uh, also, no, that's just cool as hell, man.
1: So this is, this is my, uh, birthday gift from Sonia. It's, um, an Avon Carly uh, original here from the Dark Art Emporium, which is pretty oh, cool. Oh, that
0: is cool yeah. as hell. Yeah. Uh, Crow, yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, I love and it. it's like,
0: yeah. I think that's poor such guys a cool cutout piece. Is
1: like dead. But she does really, really neat things. She, What I like about her paper cuts is she does like texture in the paper that she presses into it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just a really cool method that she does. So.
0: Yeah, you can even see it from the image where it looks like there's just either texturing layers or just depth from that. But yeah, so she's, yeah. And
1: she's co-curating that show. So, um, she asked me to be a part of it and obviously I'm ecstatic. So, um, but the other things that I have on the horizon, um, I also have, we do open studios here in San Francisco. We're actually the, the oldest, I think the oldest and, uh, largest open studios in the country. Um, and I'm actually on uh, the the uh, nonprofit that runs it. It's called ArtSpan. I'm on the Open Studios Committee, so I help them promote it. Um, I shot a bunch of videos for them last year. Um, so what we do basically is we open our doors up to the general public. There's a guide so you can go around and check out which artists you like. You can go see their work. You can see where, where they actually work. My um, Because I'm having like a transitional period this year with my studio, I decided to have it in a different place. Um, mm-hmm. So my open studios this year is at a place called Madrone Art Bar. So if anybody who's listening um, yeah. is in San Francisco, it's the weekend of the 13th and 14th, um, which is also the weekend of the opening at Cactus Gallery. So I have to do my open studios, fly to LA and then fly back that night. So I could finish my open studios the next day. So it's yeah, going to be a crazy, wild. insane like weekend, but
0: the uh, 13th and 14th of August, uh, uh, no, just around sorry. The corner. uh,
1: uh October, sorry. Of October. Yeah,
0: oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. yeah, I know. Um, we've got a big, um, trip plan to LA for the copro show. I think the first week of October and then the second week of October, that's when you're gonna be at Cactus Gallery, and then you're gonna be going back up to open studios yeah. back home. So oh man, that's that's gonna be big, yeah. big stuff, dude. Like yeah, I, do. I don't envy you for that trip, but I know the end <laughs> result's gonna be a huge uh huge good time and a payoff.
1: Definitely. That's awesome,
0: man. Yeah.
1: And the um you know, the other the the other thing that's like on my mind, always, you know, I'm just finishing up the show right now, but whenever I'm doing a solo show or a dual exhibit like this, I have to be thinking about what's going to happen next year. So sure. um, I'm I'm already in the plans for my solo show next year and I'm like super stoked on it. Of course, I can't say anything yet. But I'm really, really <laughs> excited about it, and um, I have some really cool ideas for it. And also, again, it's going to be like an interactive kind of a thing, more of an experience than just like an art show, um, which I'm I, I love, you know. And I love going to art shows that are more of an experience for the viewer to uh, more of a chance for them to connect to the artwork and what's going on.
0: Talking about uh, possibly having any live performance or music for the opening, that sort of thing. Because yes. um, I well, don't know if you went down for Ego Death or for Dystopia, no, um, but I, those I were didn't. fucking unbelievable.
1: Yeah. And I've seen some video and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, there's stuff on uh, the documentary Chets are yep. I Love like to Paint Monsters by Mike Carell. Shout yes. out to Mike, too. Shout out
0: to Mike, um, Energy
1: Creations. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, oh, real quick, I mean, that's something else cool that we could talk about is the retreat yeah. that's
0: coming up in September. So, yes. Um, you're going to be there, right? 100%. I am stoked for that. Because, yeah. yeah, the way that Mike has set this up is it's going to be just this great time for whoever out of the dark art community can come to this to collaborate, to put our heads together on some ideas just to, you know, even meet up. And then if we all want to do something in the future or just get the word out on who's doing what and where, it's something that I'm really excited to see happen and then to see grow more. Just because, like, you know, we're even talking about the dark art community, the dark art cooperative, the dark art society folks, it's just this great, great group that always seems to get cooler and cooler.
1: Yeah. And, and it seems to be growing. And, you know, the more of these like face to face, um, interactions that we all get to do the better, because you really do like, you need that when you're trying to build something like this. And, um, you know, I, I just feel very, very strongly about it. And, uh, like you and, and like Mike and Chet. So, uh, If I can contribute in any way, you know, even just by moving tables around or whatever, setting something up like I'm totally happy with doing anything. So um, the fact that I get to be there at the table and and talk to you guys face to face is going to be awesome. So and I think only good things are going to come out of it and we'll probably have 10,000 ideas and we'll have to strip that down to 100, you know, (laughs) so,
0: Yep. yeah. All, all the all the fun of getting a, a bunch of awesome thinking individuals and creative folks together. We'll we'll see how it all winds up. But yeah, I'm I'm so fucking psyched for that. And yeah. I think um Mike still has um the option open for anybody listening who wants to be a part of this in the last weekend of September. Uh it's going to be a really cool couple of days where everybody flies into Albuquerque and then heads out to Mike's ranch and we start just meeting up and working on whatever we want to work on all dark art. But yeah, I think um, from what we've talked about from everything that we've gone over today, uh, I I do want to get into a little bit more um, before we start wrapping up just about how cool I think it is for these kinds of like interactive shows to have Either a couple of people doing something, whether they're um, portraying characters that are coming from the artwork or even if they're just doing any type of performance. Um, But earlier I mentioned uh, music, and one of the main reasons was because um, composer Chris Velasco, um, who's done just awesome work of scoring video games and doing other incredibly cool stuff, did the music for the dystopia show. Yeah. And if you've heard any of that stuff from any of the videos that are out there online, I mean, it's just dark ambient, awesome soundscapes, super cool drone. And I want to ask you, do you are you into that stuff?
1: I I am so into that stuff. And I have heard some of his work and it, it is like mind blowing. It's the
0: perfect, I love it. Yeah, like, like the his perfect stuff from
1: background uh, music to this kind of work. And, uh, I think in the documentary they talked about it and um, it was either on documentary or the podcast where at the show you could like feel how people were reacting to it like viewing this artwork listening to this soundtrack and just being kind of weirded out you know and that's like perfect you
0: know? <laughs> I, I loved it I was eating it up yeah. and I was like looking around and I could see a couple of people who weren't like either entirely into it or prepared for it or used to it um, because I, I love listening to excellent um, instrumental scores, um, whether it's, you know, stuff from films, like again, going back to the old sixties um, horror movies when things were very experimental with the onset of like MOOC synthesizers and uh, more electronic um, stuff to like, even talking about Jerry Goldsmith's, uh, darker, more brooding work. When you listen to some of those segments in, like, a soundtrack like *The Omen*, yeah. um, where it just really sort of tries to draw a, a feeling from the audience of either unease or some sort of discordant, uh, you know, melody or riff or whatever it is. But uh, that stuff is just so fun. Like, it, it does make me laugh to see someone just react <laughs> to it, like. The fuck is this? (laughs) Uh but I I just embrace it. I absolutely love it. And I'm so into that stuff. Even like when we're talking about um composers like uh um Brian lustmord who does, you know, these incredibly deep, booming sonic uh dark ambient works. Um I I eat that stuff up, man. I just I dig the hell out of it.
1: The um you know, relating back to cinema, um the one movie that comes to mind as of recently that the soundtrack Oh my god! It added so much to the film was the Neon Demon. Yes, uh, it hell was, yeah! It was so good, and you know how like a lot of his movies, there's so much like dead air time that mm. those were filled so perfectly with this music. And I, I forget what the the composer. Do you remember what the composer's name is?
0: Uh, it's either I think it's Clint Mansell. Um, I'm pretty sure, or uh, I don't think it's Brian Reitzel, but um, I love The Neon Demon, and uh, it's, it's one that I know a lot of folks are kind of, like, up and down about. Some people just can't get into it. Some people think it's too much style over substance and uh, stuff oh, like dude, that. I, but I It's one it. of my favorite Nicholas Winding reference, yeah.
1: Yeah, I actually met him at a QA and um, nice. a after the screening of that film. Actually, this is really funny. Um, it was yeah. him and the guy asking the questions was lars from metallica
0: <laughs> like what is <a laughs> Ulrich at A yeah, Q&A like, at a film festival what an
1: odd <laughs> pairing but it was because they were both doing stuff with amazon and um mm. uh they paired them because they're from uh they're both from the same place they're both danish i think yeah um and they're both, that's literally the only link because they work with Amazon and they're Danish.
0: <laughs> like you're saying Lars. I was thinking like, Oh, he's going to say Lars von Trier. Yeah. No, it's no. Lars Ulrich <laughs> from Metallica. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah. That's so funny. But yeah, yeah. Like I, I think, um, you know, music, uh, is just as critical as just about any other element of that kind of medium. And, to me, just um, you know, being a fan of like even stage work and uh, seeing plays and live performance and things like that, the the integration of that into the experience of a show opening is that much more attractive, and I think it you know can spurn people's curiosity a little bit more yeah. because they see that this art show that they're looking at. You know, the uh, PR info for, oh, okay, here are a couple of uh, professionally photographed pieces that are going to be on display, but also there's going to be music by this composer that they might be familiar with and possible interactive figures doing something in person. I mean that's just, yeah. you know. Well, there, the that, the way things are developing, that's just really cool.
1: Yeah, and that like it touches upon so many different interests that people potentially could have. So, um sure. when you just have a gallery show where it's just paintings up on the wall, um that's totally fine too. Yeah. But some people what I found is they have um they're like intimidated by just artwork up on a wall. They don't know what to do besides look at it. Um, And sometimes people are just intimidated even to just look at it, which is crazy. But so when that's the only thing to do at an art show People don't really know like they they're afraid that the artist is going to come up to them and talk to them about the work and then they're going to say something wrong or like they're freaked out that like they're not going to say the right art terms or whatever. So when I don't know
0: what I'm talking about, I feel like an imposter. I'm going to sound stupid. I'm not academic enough for this. I don't want to be in a museum crowd where I could be exposed as someone who's fake. Exactly. All all those kinds of stress. I mean, that's just true. Yeah, you're right.
1: And so when you have an interactive show, it, like I was saying before, it packages it into this idea that like everything is approachable. Like if you, if you're freaked out by talking about the work, you don't have to talk about the work. You could talk about the music that's, um, in the loudspeaker. You could talk about the performers that are performing. So like those are all different things, um, that add to the experience, but also give the audience something else to attach themselves to, um, if the work itself isn't what uh, they're comfortable talking about.
0: yeah and then like for people who want the the entire experience and just want to like take in everything like I know for for me um, specifically the dystopia show was huge for that because we would go inside and we would make our rounds from you know every single wall to view every piece and then we would look at the huge display in the middle and then we would go and check out the side gallery where Damian Eccles had his work going. Uh, and then we would go back outside and we would see this giant display with incredible lighting and awesome set design. And then guys like Rick Gallagher who are out there mocked up to look like black magic from Chetzar's you know seminal work. And everyone was just taking pictures. Everyone's like, oh my yeah. God, this is awesome. And then they're going back in for like round two. Yeah. Of the artwork and then they're coming back out seeing more of what's going on with the music and the set and the performers. And it's like, all right, I want I want to go check out some more and then I want to come back out and check this out. And then I want to spend a lot of time digging into this because so much is going on. Yeah. But it, it's that engagement. You know, totally. it makes people feel like they're a part of something and that they're experiencing something. And that's super valuable to anybody who wants to be in on it.
1: Yeah, so um the yeah. the superstition show that's up right now, um the reason why the opening was such a big hit with people was because we added all these extra interactive elements and it wasn't performers, um basically the audience were the performers. That that's sort of how we set <laughs> it up. It 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 just really um it kind of took off and it was really cool. So As soon as you walk in on the floor, I had written, um, choose your destiny. And I had these two arrows. One of them led underneath a rickety old ladder that I had built. And then one of them, yeah, one of them was just into the gallery. So you could choose whether or not to walk underneath the ladder to get into the show.
0: Like a choose your own adventure novel. Cause that sounds absolutely
1: awesome. Yeah. So then, um, in addition to that, then I had built a box. The front of it said, tempt your fate. Um, and what's crazy is I knew when I, when we were coming up with the concept for the show, I knew that I wanted to break mirrors within a gallery setting. So I'm like, how can we do this safely? And,
0: and you're talking like the actual act of like breaking breaking it, not just having it pre broken, but Oh, shit.
1: So, uh, cause I just, I had this idea in my head. I'm like, how cool is that to be in like, a nice gallery and be breaking shit, you know, like what <laughs> to a see cool something thing.
0: destructive yeah. in like that extremely, uh, yeah, high end environment. Yeah, that's, so that's pretty fucking rad. I, I think um, that's fun as shit. <laughs> I was like racking my
1: brain trying to think of how to make this happen, and I just like I was in this. I, maybe I was taking a nap or something, but like I woke up out of this crazy sleep, and I mapped out while I was sleeping how to do it. And so I woke up and I was like, oh, my God, this is how we're going to do it. So we're going to reach down to this box and there's going to be like a gloved hand. Like there's a glove you can put your hand into and that's attached to like a piece of wood. And then there'll be mirrors inside the box with a hammer. So that design actually ended up uh, changing slightly because it made more sense for um, for somebody to be reaching into the side of the box rather than the top. Um, so basically it was plexi on, uh, the front, on the top and the sides, and then the back and the bottom were wood. The back had a hole cut where there was a glove that was attached to it. Um, so you could reach in into there. And then there was also a little window cut in it with a piece of plexi there too. So you could actually kind of see what you were doing. So at the show itself, um, it was like. It was super successful. People loved it. Everything, all the mirror pieces were uh, basically powdered by the end of the show. And um, it was really, really cool. So in addition to the ladder and the mirror box, there were also um, umbrellas that were hanging. So there was one umbrella that was high up and it was open. And then there was another umbrella that was closed, but it was hanging there so people could reach into it and open it up. And it was kind of like a, uh, an opportunity to take photos there. Um, and then we also had, leading up to the show, we had actually, um, put out the word that we wanted people's superstitions. So, nice. yeah, so it was actually, it was kind of like a marketing ploy, um, where we just wanted engagement on the Facebook page, sure. uh, the, the actual invite. So we told, we instructed people to go to that page and write their superstitions and we printed those out, put them up on a board and then people at the show were also able to contribute by writing their superstitions and putting them up at the board. So
0: that's badass. Um, it,
1: yeah, it was really cool because it gives people all these opportunities to kind of be a part of the show. Um And you know what we were talking about with uh, like music and performers and stuff like that, it gives people other things to attach to. And um, besides just the art, you know, in addition to all of that, we also had the art, you know, yeah. and and so people were able to just walk around, see the art, and interact with all these other cool things. So well, it's it was like, really, um, really cool.
0: Memories to make, too. Like for, for me, uh, talking about this with like the umbrella and the mirror box, um, it, it makes me think of this just awesome experience that we had when we were at the Copro Gallery. I think uh, either for the Fear Show or something like that. When we went in and we got to see one of Ave Rose's pieces, um, mm. which was just this huge. She's amazing. I I am like baffled by what yeah. she does with automata and mechanics and like micro work and. Her concepts uh, that she's talked about are like hugely Jan Swankmeyer influenced, which already for me that's just as cool as it gets. But when we went in and we saw this huge piece, and we got to like turn the crank of what was basically a music box built into this thing, and then take this handle and like rotate it 360 degrees and actually see like the butterflies and little, you know, mechanisms inside of this uh, huge glass box start flapping their wings and seeing movement. That was like a huge memory maker from that event. Yeah. Like all, all the details surrounding it, you know, everything about, oh, yeah, driving there and having to, you know, deal with other people crunching up against <laughs> a painting and stuff like that. You know, all that all that shit's whatever that all is just part of, you know, the, the getting there. But when you've got so many of those things and you know, as long as it's not like detracting from the whole point of being there for the art and the experience um, it's just really, really cool. Like I, I I love being able to think back on times like that. It's like a good concert or a good Mm. experience at a con or, you know, a film or something like that, or even just a fun memory of, you know, going on a vacation or a trip or whatever. It's, it's just cool as shit. And, I love how that opportunity is being given out more and more for these kinds of interactive shows. So I I can't wait to see what, what's on the horizon, like what's coming up for you next year, because it, it sounds yeah. like some really fun stuff's brewing.
1: Yeah, and um, ultimately it's going to be a lot larger uh, at a completely different kind of location. Uh, I'm trying to like tiptoe around the idea of what it actually <laughs> is without actually telling you, but yeah. it, it's just you know if it all pans out again you know ideas change so who knows um but i do like the idea of doing these interactive things but like you're saying like not taking away from the The actual art itself yeah Yeah. point the reason you're there is to see the artwork um and ultimately it's like you know i spent months working on the superstition show Mm -hmm. and uh the whole reason it's there is so you come and buy my artwork, you know, and that's really the reason. And, you know, I'm a working artist in San Francisco, so I have to sell work. So, yeah, um, the whole, you know, it's fun. All that other stuff is fun. But ultimately, it comes down to seeing the artwork, seeing how much work I put into that part of it and hopefully gaining some new collectors.
0: Hell yeah. Well, um, for everybody listening who wants to check out your stuff, um, are you out there on a big, uh, big cartel store or uh, storefront on your site? What are we, uh, yeah. where, can we, where can we find your stuff right now?
1: So, uh, right now, um, my website is in a giant overhaul and we just switched over, uh, to e-commerce directly on the website. Cool. Um, but there's literally like two items listed right now. So it's, it's in that kind of transition. <laughs> um, and it's because I, I have my entire superstition show is up on art attacks website right now, uh, which is artattacksf.com, attack sf.com and, thank um, make sure
0: to link to that. Yep.
1: Yeah. Thank you. And, Go uh, down. yeah, the, the whole thing is there right now. And then after that show comes down, then I'll upload that onto my website. Um, and then you could buy directly from me. So I will be fixing that within the next few weeks. Um, but even the website itself, uh, my girlfriend and I have been talking about ideas and she's been doing a ton of work on it for me um, to help me while I'm doing the work. And, uh, yeah, so you can go to ShaneIsakowski.com. Uh, last name is a doozy, I know, but, uh, first name is S H A N E, last name Isakowski, I Z Y K O W S K I dot com. And you can check out my other work there. And you can also find me on Instagram, ShaneIsakowski, um, or you can find me on Facebook. Um you can look up my personal page or you can go to my artist page. It's uh Shane Isaacowski Artist.
0: Hell yeah. Well, everybody listening, um, you know, go and check out Shane's stuff. It's fantastic, just like we've been talking about this whole time. Um I'm gonna go and look and see if I can find any of the stuff about Snaggletooth or any of your other film work on YouTube and check some of that <laughs> out because I'm totally interested to see in like the kind of independent horror stuff that you've done up to this point. Cause yeah. I, I, I love that shit. That's just so, so my, cool.
1: My only two IMDB credits are uh snaggletooth yeah. and a film I did years ago called blood and sex nightmare. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so you can imagine, but um, that yeah, great double that feature was sorority there.
0: house massacre. It's great. Yeah.
1: It's uh, <laughs> it is a terrible film.
0: That is perfectly Um, fine. We we just got done uh, doing an episode on horror marathons because of the huge Joe Bob Briggs last drive-in event that happened on Shudder. And that was 24 hours of mixed bag stuff, everything from like Sleepaway Camp to Hellraiser To even like some of the worst bottom of the barrel horror, like *The Legend of Boggy Creek*, Um, (laughs) but there's always value in it. It's always creative work, and it's always experience. At least there's that. I can tell you,
1: I can tell you, there's pretty much no value in in blood sex Nightmare, Sex nightmare. (laughs) <laughs> um, but, uh, but snaggletooth again, yeah. it's on, it's in the circuit. I can actually, um, I can send you a copy. It You can't find it online yet because it is in the the festival circuit. I'd love and, to see uh, a screener.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And put out an yeah, article I'll, I'll for it too. For sure. Okay, yeah. Hell yeah. I'll man. do that. That'd be great. Awesome. Well, cool. Shane, uh, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Um, it's yeah. been an absolute blast talking to you about dark art, your work, horror and everything. Um, in the future, you know, we'll see uh, what happens. I'm going to be, you know, seeing you here in a couple weeks anyway when we all head yeah. down to Mike's. Um, but, yeah, man, we'll, uh, you know, whatever works out. Maybe uh, a round two will be on the horizon when you're gearing up for the next show, and we'll we'll get the word out. But, uh, everybody, you know, check out Shane Isakowski's stuff. Shane, again, thank you for uh, joining us for an episode of Freaky Phantoms, man.
1: Yeah, Thanks a lot, dude. Um, and I really appreciate what you guys are doing, too. Um, again, just like uh, sharing the any kind of dark art stuff, um, I know you guys are doing more of that now, too. But in general, just cinema and um, the artwork that goes behind it uh, is very important for people to know about. And you guys really delve very deeply into it, which I really appreciate as a fan. So.
0: Hell yeah, man awesome yeah well we will uh see you next time folks um definitely check out the links for the show and for shane's work and uh as always you can hit us up on all the social feeds support us on patreon so we can help continue to produce the show each week and we will see you next week thanks for listening to another freaky phantoms